0: From doors away you can hear its knocking, this antiquated heating system, and it sounds like a monkey wrench tapping on an iron railing, like a coded message transmitted from one locked cell to another. It's a wasteful, unworkable mess, but then this shabby set of offices, hard by Barbican Underground Station on Aldersgate Street in the borough of Finsbury, isn't exactly noted for its efficiency, of equipment or personnel, Indeed, its inhabitants might as well be banging on pipes with spanners themselves for all their communication skills are worth. Though on this cold January morning, two days after an appalling act at Westacre Shopping Centre claimed upwards of forty lives, other noises can be heard in Slough House. Not in Jackson Lamb's room for once. Of all the building's occupants, he may be the one most obviously in tune with its rackety plumbing, being no stranger to internal gurglings and sudden warm belches himself. But for the moment his office is empty, and his radiator its sole source of clamour. In the room opposite, though, until a few months back, Catherine Standish's, now Moira Tregorian's, there is at least some conversation taking place, though of a necessarily one-sided nature. Moira Tregorian currently being the room's sole occupant. Her monologue consists of single emphatic syllables. A-cha, here, a-duh, there, interspersed with the odd, unfractured phrase. Never thought I'd see the day. And what on earth's this when it's at home? A younger listener might assume Moira to be delivering these fragments down a telephone. But in fact they are directed at the papers on her desk, Papers which have accumulated in the absence of Catherine Standish, and have done so in a manner uncontaminated by organisational principle, whether chronological, alphabetical, or commonsensical, since they were deposited there by Lamb, whose mania for order has some way to go before it might be classed as neurotic or even observable. There are many sheets of paper, and each of them has to be somewhere, and discovering which of the many possible somewheres that might be is Moira's job today as it was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Had he done so deliberately, Lamb could hardly have come up with a more apt introduction to life under his command, here in this administrative oubliette of the intelligence service. But the truth is, Lamb hasn't so much consigned the documents to Moira's care as banished them from his own, out of sight, out of mind being his solution to unwanted paperwork. Moira, whose second day in Slough House this is, and who has yet to meet Jackson Lamb, has already decided she'll be having a few sharp words with him when that event comes to pass. And while she is nodding vigorously at this thought, the radiator growls like a demented cat, startling her, so she drops the papers she is holding, and has to scramble to retrieve them before they disarrange themselves again. Meanwhile, from the landing below, other noise floats up. A murmur from the kitchen, where a kettle has lately boiled, and a recently opened fridge is humming. In the kitchen, a River Cartwright and Louisa Guy, both with warm mugs in their hands, and Louisa is maintaining a nearly unbroken commentary on the trials and tribulations accompanying the purchase of her new flat. This is quite some distance away, as London flats tend to be, if they're affordable, But the picture she paints of its size, its comfort, its uncluttered surfaces, is evidence of a new contentment that River would be genuinely glad to witness, were he not brooding about something else. And all the while, behind him, the door to his office creaks on a squeaky hinge, not because anyone is currently using it, but in general protest at the draughts that haunt Slough House. And in a more particular complaint, directed at the commotion arising from the next floor down. But while his door remains unused, Rivers' office is not empty, for his new colleague, a slow horse for some two months now, sits within, slumped in his chair, the hood of his hoodie pulled over his head. Apart from his fingers he is still, but these move unceasingly, his keyboard pushed aside the better to accommodate this, And while an observer would see nothing more than an advanced case of the fidgets, what J.K. Coe is describing on the scuffed surface of his desk is a silent replica of what's coursing through his head via his iPod. Keith Jarrett's improvised piano recital from Osaka, November 8, 1976, one of the Sun Bear concerts. Coe's fingers miming the melodies Jarrett discovered on the night, all those miles and all those years.